Thanksgiving's coming on Thursday, and I don't know about you, for us, we're getting older, and we find it a little bit more difficult to gather family together. They have family, they have obligations, they have all these different things going on, so it's hard for us to get everyone at our particular point at our house, but I like the way that this one man handled it. It's really good, so here it is. A man in Chicago calls his son in New York the day before Thanksgiving, and he says, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you that your mother and I are divorcing. 45 years of misery is just enough. Pop, what are you talking about? The son screams. We can't stand the sight of each other any longer, the father says. We're sick of each other, and I'm sick of talking about this. So you call your sister in Dallas, and you tell her. Well, frantic, the son calls his sister, who explodes on the phone. Like heck, they're getting divorced, she shouts. I'm going to take care of this. So she calls Chicago immediately and screams at her father, you are not getting divorced. Don't do a simple thing until I get there. I'm calling my brother back, and we'll both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't do a thing. Do you hear me? She hangs up. The old man hangs up his phone, turns to his wife and says, okay, they're coming for Thanksgiving, and they're paying their own way. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to remember that one. On a more serious note, let me ask you something. Are you by nature a person who gives thanks? Or maybe because we've all been affected by this thing called the fall and sin, that we have a tendency not to be thankful, but to want and demand certain things of our life. Are you by nature a person who is thankful? Terry read Psalm 100 this morning, and it's a psalm, a sermon. It's a psalm and a sermon about giving thanks. And what I hope to do this morning is I hope as we walk through this psalm together, as we walk through this sermon together, that you will find it in your heart, a way to give thanks to the Lord, no matter where you're at and where you find yourself this morning. We're going to do some things maybe in the service that will cause you or will invite you to respond with thanks. And what I want to do also is this, I kind of want to wrap up this series, Contending for the Faith, but by talking about this issue of being grateful, of being thankful. You know, if you were to look at our lives and the foundations of our life, as we've walked through this series on contending with the faith, we've talked about the foundation of the Word of God. The Word of God gives us that solid foundation. It gives us all that we need for life and godliness. And we have that foundation in the Word of God. And then we build on that foundation by the unique person of Jesus Christ. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The specific idea, thought that Jesus goes to the cross and offers himself as a sacrifice for my sin is another pillar of our faith that I can have peace with God. And we continue to build on that foundation with this idea of John 3.16. John 3.16 says this, I'm escaping the wrath of God and I have this wonderful blessing called eternal life that I'm going to spend eternity in the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. All of that is a wonderful blessing that we have. And that in the midst of suffering, when life is difficult and life is really, really hard, we have this idea that God is with, that God comes to earth in the incarnation. God comes to us in the midst of pain and suffering, and he's right there with us. He says, listen, I'm never going to leave you, and I'm never going to forsake you. I'm right there with you. And we bank on that fact that God is with us in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering. And then we have this other pillar where you look around and you go, I'm not alone that I'm part of the family of God. And Peter would say, listen, we are all living stones. You and I are living stones being built together into a spiritual priesthood, and we're all foundational for what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And then we have this wonderful privilege of carrying on the gospel message of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 
It is the gospel. It is the good news. And how does that good news go out from here? You and I have the incredible privilege of telling people about Jesus and how he has transformed our lives. And as we look at this foundation, as we look at our lives, hopefully what we see is that we are a pillar of the truth. We are a people gathered together and we stand tall like a tower in the midst of a world that's chaotic. You know, we have the resources, we have the foundations to help us navigate the difficulties and challenges of life. And because of all of this, shouldn't we be, shouldn't we be thankful people? Shouldn't we be grateful people that one day I'm going to spend eternity with the Lord and the glory of his power? I'm going to spend eternity with him and all of the stuff, all the pain, all the suffering, all of that stuff's going to be removed from my life, that one day I'm going to have a new body and I'm going to be surrounded by people. Shouldn't we of all people be thankful? Paul says this, in all circumstances, give thanks because this is God's will for your life. That's not minimizing the difficulties and challenges that we have. Paul was a realist. He knew about these things. Paul suffered. Go back and read his life. Paul was a guy who suffered. He knew it. But what he could say is, listen, in all these circumstances, when I look beyond that, I know that God is working in a way that I may not think or imagine. But God is working behind the scenes to bear me up and to help me. We should be people, not just on Thanksgiving, not just the Sunday before Thanksgiving, but every day, count your blessings, name them one by one, because God is always working, because he loves us, he cares for us, and he's a good God. By the way, when I'm not faithful, the Bible says that God is faithful to us. And that's what we're going to see in this wonderful psalm, Psalm 100. Terry already read it. I have it on the screens. I'm going to read it again. Let me just read. Hear the word of the Lord. By the way, when I read it, I want you to notice some things. There are seven commands. Isn't that interesting? We often think of worship being this, well, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be quiet and contemplative and I'm just going to reflect on the nature and the character of God. Hear the word of the Lord. And yet we have these commands, a command to act, respond, do something. Notice what he says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. By the way, did you notice not just the community of faith, but all of the earth? There's this idea that one day salvation is going to go out and all of the earth is going to have the opportunity to respond, not just Jewish people, but Gentiles. Verse 2 says, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God as he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. And his faithfulness continues through all generations. Now, what a great psalm right before thanksgiving. What I want to do is I want to speak from this to encourage us today. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you for your grace. Father, thank you for your mercy. Lord, I don't know what's going through the hearts and minds of each person who's gathered here today. But Father, I pray that through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, through us being together, singing together, sharing together, that our hearts would be full of thanksgiving. Father, thank you for all the wonderful blessings. Thank you for the promises that we have. Father, Ignite our hearts with this idea, this concept, this theme of thankfulness. Lord, not just today, but every day. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Before we take some time to take apart this psalm and walk through it, I want to just remind you 
of a couple of things. Notice, first of all, the title. The title says, A Psalm for Giving Thanks. It's the only psalm that we know of that has a title to it, and the title is A Psalm for Giving Thanks. Giving thanks has the idea of not just saying things, but it has the idea of a confession. In other words, when I recognize the nature and the character of God and who He is, I should respond. I should confess. I should tell about who God is to other people. So we have this idea, this psalm of thanksgiving to us. But notice also, when you look at the broader context of this, we find out that it's a part of a collection of psalms. If you go back and look from Psalm 93 to Psalm 99, there's this incredible theme. A lot of times the psalms are gathered together. They were organized in themes. So when you go back and look from 93 to 91, there is this theme about the kingship, the lordship, the sovereign God who reigns always before us. Psalm 93, verse 1, 97, verse 1 says this, The Lord reigns. In Psalm 96, it says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Psalm 98, verse 6, Shout before the Lord, the King. And in Psalm 99, verse 1, it says, The Lord reigns. Seven psalms prior to Psalm 100, we have this theme of kingship of God the lordship of God, the power, the might of God, and how we are to respond. And that's the last thing I want to point out is all of those psalms and in Psalm 100, we have this idea of we should be responding to God. We should be, we should be acting out. We should be doing something. We should be shouting. We should be praying. We, we should be doing all of these wonderful things in response to who he is and what he's done for us. But let me ask you, why do you think there's a Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks? Do you ever forget about the Lord's benefits and what he's done for you? Do you ever forget those things? Do you ever become so focused on your own life and what you don't have that you have a tendency to forget all the wonderful, incredible blessings that you do have? Do you forget to thank him for all the ways that he has been good and gracious to you? You see, I think there's a Psalm 100, a Psalm for giving thanks to remind us of who God is and how we should live our lives in light of this wonderful, great, powerful God who surrounds us with all of these wonderful blessings. So three things I want to point out from this psalm, really simple. They all begin with the letter A, so it's pretty simple. Acknowledge, and then we're going to accept, and we're going to act. So let's begin. Acknowledge who? Acknowledge God as our benefactor. Look at verse 3. Notice what he writes. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and we are the sheep of his pasture. Now, you may be sitting there and going, okay, Clint, now why are we beginning in verse 3? That's an interesting place to begin in verse 3. Well, I want to begin in verse 3 because there are seven commands. When you go back and read this, there are seven commands in this psalm. Three of them are in verses 1 and 2. The other three are in verses 4 and 5. And it's almost like sandwiched right in the middle in a chiastic kind of way. Right in the middle is verse 3 that says, know the Lord. It's almost as if the psalmist is saying, listen, at the heart of praise, at the heart of thankfulness, at the heart of all that we should be doing is this understanding, this command, this knowledge of who God is and what he has done for us. In other words, in order for us to get to the rest of what God would have for us, we need to understand that there is a relational aspect to our faith. This isn't just this head knowledge where I put God here. It's this relational understanding of who God is and what he has done for us. And by the way, a question that we might ask ourselves, that I would ask myself is, what does my life say 
about the way that I'm living? In other words, what is the focus of my life? What are the things that are so important in my life that are communicating to other people what my life is really all about? Have you thought about it that way? There's a poet by the name of Ralph Waldo Emerson, and he has an interesting point about what we worship or what we ascribe as important in life and how it affects us. It's on the screen here. Let me just read it. He says this, A person will worship something, have no doubt about it. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will come out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. If Ralph Waldo Emerson is correct, he makes two important points here. The first one is that we all worship something. The second one is whatever you are worshiping, whatever you are ascribing worship, whatever is the focus of your life, that is what you are becoming. And what the psalmist is reminding us is at the heart of gratitude, at the heart of thanksgiving, is this understanding that do you know that the Lord is God? That there are no other gods in my life. It's not about my values. The things that are important to me, it's about who God is and what he would have for my life. And the psalmist reminds us, listen, gratitude becomes with the knowledge and understanding of this relational aspect that the Lord is God, and I'm one of his children. And notice how the psalmist unpacks this relational idea of being able to be gratified. Look at verse 3. Notice how he impacts this. We have this progression of thought about who we are and what God has done for us and why we should give thanks. And he kind of builds and he builds and he builds and he builds about who God is and what he would be doing in our life. Verse 3 again says this, It is he who made us. Do you acknowledge God as your creator? In a world that is struggling with significance, in a world that is struggling with identity, in a world that is changing their very identity of what it means to be created in the image of God, do you have this understanding that God created you? Psalm 139 verse 13 says this, David The great David knew and understood this. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. It means this, this long process of evolution is not what we embrace. It means that God created you and I just the way that we are. And if God is our creator, it means this, that you and I have meaning, purpose in life. As I orient my life to who God is, to know who he is, to know that he created, he is the one ultimately that gives me meaning and purpose. He gives me meaning. And I should orient my life to who he is because he's my creator. I'm not a product of evolution. I'm not a product of of happenstance. God created me because he loved me and cared for me. The psalmist goes on in verse 3, says this, we are his. Do you know that God, God owns you? Not in a way that's demeaning. Not in a way that's ugly. In 1 Thessalonians, the Bible says that my wife owns me and and I own her. And that's, that's not demeaning. It's this idea of relationship. It's this idea of wanting the best for other people. If there was a Jewish person who would be reading the psalm and they read, we are his, they would no doubt think and and understand that, yes, we are God's created people, that we are God's chosen people, that we were freed out of Egypt. We were plucked out of Egypt. And what God did was he formed us together into a nation. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are part of our family. They're patriarchs. Yes, we are God's chosen people. This side of the cross it means that we are God's chosen people to be in Christ. It says this, because God loves us, because God cares for us, because God is faithful. He's, he's pouring out who he is to us, all because of God's grace. 
and he loves us and he cares for us. We are his. And when it comes again to the New Testament, it comes this idea that this understanding of who God is and what he's done for us came at a great cost. I am his. I am owned by God because of what Jesus has done and going to the cross and offering himself as a sacrifice for sin. And by the way, I'm an entirely different person, and you are too. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Notice what Paul writes about how we have been changed and the beauty of our relationship with him. Notice what he writes. He says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I was bought with a price. The price was life, death, burial, specifically Jesus' death on the cross to purchase me back from the land of slavery. I have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter says. And our lives are radically different because of what he has done for us. Jesus is my redeemer because he went to the cross and offered himself as a sacrifice on the tree. Do you realize that God is your creator? Do you realize that you are owned by him and that you are part of something bigger than yourself? You know, it's really easy to get lost in the world. It's really easy to think, well, you know what? I'm the only person in my school that's Christian. And maybe I'm the only person in my work that's a Christian. I'm the only person in my family that knows I'm a Christian. Nobody else is. I feel at times all alone. Do you realize you're part of something bigger? We are part of God's family. That's what he says. He says that we are his people. There's a corporate dimension to our faith. There's a corporate dimension to our gathering together. Why do we gather together and we sing together? Why do we gather together and we talk to each other so we can encourage one another, so we can build up one another? We need that because we are part of something bigger than ourselves. We are part of the family of God, and we owe our allegiance to him because of who he is and what he's done for us. Do you realize you've been adopted into his family? Man, when I was a young kid many, many years ago, my mom and dad said, we're going to adopt. I was the oldest of four boys. Some of you heard this. We're going to adopt a little girl, and that's what we did. We went out of the courthouse, and I will never forget that day bringing my sister Colleen home. She was a part of our family. She became a part of our family that day. And here it is, 40-something years later, she's still a part of our family because she was adopted into our family, and she bears the last name of Hamilton. Do you realize all of us have been adopted into the family of God because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us? And I have meaning and purpose in life. Notice what Paul said. He said this in Ephesians chapter 1. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. All because of God's grace. Listen, I've opened your eyes to the beauty and the wonder of who Jesus is. And by grace, I'm calling you to be a part of this wonderful thing called the family of God. And I'm adopting you. I'm pulling you in. Maybe nobody else cares about you. Maybe you've made a wreck of your life, but you will be my son. You will be my daughter. I will pull you into my family. And that means that I relate to God as my intimate father. Bible says, Abba, Father, I can call him my Abba, Father. I was thinking about this point right here, and my son does the PowerPoint. I send it off in a little email to him, and then he creates it, and then he puts it on here. And I always send him an email. And I get to the end of the email, and what do I put down? Remember when I first did this? Do I put down Clint? I'm like, Clint. No, I'm not Clint. What am I? D-A-D. I'm his dad. And it communicates something. Communicates something powerful that drew my son and I love him. And it communicates 
And when he says we are his people, we line up with the creator. We line up with who he is. And we have the incredible privilege of being able to call him our Abba Father. You may not fit in anywhere else in life, but you are a part of God's family because he's adopted you into his family. Know that. Embrace that. And then the psalmist takes it one step further in verse 3. Notice what he says, the sheep of his pastor. Do you recognize that God is your shepherd? Go back and read and look at the Old Testament and how many times the idea, this concept of a shepherd, this divine shepherd, this God who loves and cares for his people and says, listen, you guys are a bunch of sheep. You're out there. You're scattered. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to come in and I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to come in. I'm going to take care of you because I'm the great shepherd and I want to take care of you because you are my sheep. David, the Lord is my shepherd. Jeremiah recognizes the people have been scattered. And God says, I will still come and shepherd you. Ezekiel says the same thing. Though you are scattered all about, the great shepherd God is going to come. And he's going to nurture and he's going to protect and he's going to take care of you because you are the sheep of his past. Do you know that in your life? No matter what you're going through right now, do you know that God loves you, he cares for you, and he wants to shepherd you like a sheep? We know that because of what Jesus said. In the incarnation, when God comes to earth, when Jesus comes to earth, he talks to his people. In John chapter 10, he says, listen, guys, I want to tell you something. In the midst of life and the yuckiness of life, I want you to know something, that I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 14 says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. That is a relational understanding of who God is. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Wow. Jesus expressed purpose to come to this earth in the incarnation, to live for 33 and a half years, to do all of these wonderful miracles, all of these things, and ultimately to go to the cross and offer himself as a sacrifice for his sin. That's how a shepherd takes care of his sheep. And I am now intimate related to God. I'm intimate related to all of you because of what Jesus has done for me in this life, death, burial, and resurrection. By the way, do you know God in that way? Do you know the intimacy of, of which God wants to love you and care for you and provide for you? See, when we know and understand that, it radically changes our life. It causes us to be thankful. It causes us to offer our hearts and our minds in gratitude to God for who he is. I was talking to a guy on Thursday night. He lost a good friend of his. And he said, I'm just lost. I'm just lost. I don't know what to do. I don't have any desire to go to church, go to church, and I just feel, feel like I'm struggling. You realize that in the midst of that, God, the great shepherd, comes after his sheep and he pursues them and he goes after them so that he can pull them into the fold and to try and care for them. See, what the psalmist is reminding us that we can be thankful. We can offer express thanks to God for who he is and what he's done for us as our creator, as our redeemer, as the one who loves us and as the one who cares for us. Have we become so self-sufficient that we operate without him? Psalm 23 is a psalm of David, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Let me just read. Let me put it on the screen. Some guy did this, and I thought this was really good. Let me put it on the screen, and let's remove God. Remember, the text is saying to acknowledge God. What happens when we remove God? What does that life look like? Notice what it says. My, I shall be in want. Hmm. Verse 2, me, me. It's all about me. Verse 3, my soul and me. Verse 4, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear me. Me, why? Because there's no God. Verse 5, me, in the presence of my enemies, my head and my cup. Verse 6, all the days of my life I will dwell. In other words, we remove God 
the great shepherd from our lives, and we are left to our own devices. How are you living today? Are we living in gratitude for who he is and what he's done for us? One man looked at that, and then he offered this conclusion. This is what he said. We are left obsessing over our wants in the valley of the shadow of death, paralyzed by fear and the presence of our enemies. No wonder so many are cynical. Both the child and the cynic walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The cynic focuses on the darkness, and the child focuses on the shepherd. I ask you, where's your thought? Where are you focusing on right now? What is God doing in your life in such a way? Do you know that the Lord is God and that he's watching over you no matter how difficult life is? So one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to give us an opportunity in the midst of this, in the seven commands, to respond in the midst of this. So I want to just take a moment to reflect on where we're at and to reflect on the words of the song and and to uh, offer thanks. Luke. and how we are to respond to him in gratitude and thankfulness. So the psalmist says, listen, I want you to acknowledge the Lord, acknowledge that God is our benefactor. The second thing I want to point out here is, listen, we're beneficiaries, and we should accept certain things from him. Notice what he says in verse 5. It's really kind of the conclusion, but this is what God has done for us. We are beneficiaries of this. The Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. A beneficiary is someone who's receiving some kind of blessing. 
Maybe there's an insurance policy. Maybe there's a will. But you receive something. Maybe something unexpected. But you receive some type of blessing because of the generosity or someone else giving it to you. What's interesting is there's no commands in this verse. It's only an understanding of who God is and what he has done for us. Have you accepted the blessings that God has passed on to you here? Notice what it says, for the Lord is good. Do you know that the Lord is good to you? That in the midst of life, difficulties and challenges, that God is working for your good. You may not see it. You may not know it. Life may be really, really difficult. But beyond the seeing and the knowing is this understanding by faith that God is good, that he loves, that he cares for me, and that he wants good things for my life. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the fatherless lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting of shadow. Is that the God that you know, even in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of challenges? Verse 5, we see the goodness of God expanding the goodness of God, two aspects of God's goodness in verse 5. His enduring love or loving kindness and his faithfulness. God is loving toward his creation, and he's loving to you. This idea of loving kindness and the long-suffering of God is an incredible word. It's a wide-ranging word. And the people back then at that particular point in time had a word that was related to it, hesed. But it's also related to a word for stork. And the reason it was related to his loving kindness as a stork was because they looked at what was going on in a stork's life, and they saw how unusual the stork was and how this stork would make the nest up in a tree and how they would care for and take care of their young. And they took that understanding and said, look, see how a stork, an animal, takes care of its young? Notice how God takes care of you, that he's good, he's loving, he's kind, he blesses you, he's a graceful God, and they knew and understand all of that. God's God's love for us is absolutely incredible, and we see it given in the unique person of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to offer himself as a sacrifice. So God is good, and God is loving. And by the way, God is faithful. God is faithful. We are living in a day and age where a lot is crumbling. We're seeing a lot of things deteriorate. You know, what does it mean for the family to exist? What does it mean for all of these things to exist? It's just crumbling all around it. And the psalmist is reminding us that God is not fickle, that God is not moody, that God is faithful to all of his promises. And as he has been faithful to the people back then, he will continue to be faithful to us. Do you embrace the fact that God has been faithful, that God has been faithful to you in the past, he'll be faithful in the future. When I think of God and all the attributes of God, all the wonderful blessings of who God is, the wonderful being that he is, God continues to be faithful in all of those incredible, wonderful ways. His goodness is faithful. His love is faithful. His perseverance is faithful. All of those are wrapped together in that God loves us and he cares for us. Can you look back this past year and see God has been faithful here and God has been faithful here and God has been faithful. Can you look back and see that? Some of you know about this, others may not, but this past year, we received a very sizable gift. It's probably $270,000. And this gift came to us from a gal by the name of Aubrey Brown. She was a part of the Brown Fund. And what I want to point out to you is this. We had no idea that this financial gift was coming. We see the goodness of God. We see the love of God. We see the faithful. None of us had any idea that this gift was coming to us. But what we do know is this. Sometime in the past, we don't know exactly, but sometime in the past, she was made a trust of the estate. So we were written in the will that when Aubrey Brown passes away, when she passes away, this percentage of money is going to go to us. 
And it was probably written 30, maybe 40 years ago. And none of us were even aware of it. And nobody ever called up the church and said, by the way, we have this money. Is your church still theologically sound? By the way, is your pastor, is he a goofball? Do we need to give this money? None of that. God somehow, 30, 40, maybe even 50 years ago, many of us don't even know the Browns. We never met them. Something was written that God would bless us at this particular point in time. God is loving, caring for us. Do you embrace God's faithfulness in that manner? God as our benefactor. We accept the fact that we are beneficiaries of his goodness, of his grace, of his faithfulness. And in the midst of all of that, how should we respond to God? Listen to the words of verses 1 and 2 and 4. Notice the responsiveness. Notice the power here. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name forever. We are commanded to give thanks to the Lord for who he is and what he's done. We're invited. All of those commands are an invitation for us to look to him for who he is and what he's done and respond in a way that's mighty and powerful. If we were to look at all of these commands and maybe break them down and organize them, I want to leave you with four ways in which we're to respond, four ways of maybe summarizing what's happened here. The first one is this. There's an outward response to our thanksgiving. Notice what it says. The psalm begins with shout for joy to the Lord. Interesting. Shout? We don't shout in church. We don't even like it when our kids run down the hall. But he's talking about shouting. Remember this past year, they had the 10-year anniversary of the Cardinals winning the pennant. And they brought David Fries into town. And, you know, why did they bring David Fries into town? Well, because he had the home run, right? So let's all go back for a minute. Let's all go back to the Cardinals in that game. And it's the 11th inning, and we don't know what's going to happen. Are we going to win? Are we going to win? And all of a sudden, he hits this home run. What did you do? Do you remember what you did? Thank you very much. We had two people that I probably leapt out of my seat and was running to the TV and running all around going, hey, wait, 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 wait. That's what 
what he's talking about. He's talking about shouting to the Lord. We just become so uncomfortable with this because it takes us out of our comfort zone there. The same word in Joshua chapter 6. Remember God said to the people, said, okay, I want you to walk around the wall of Jericho every day. And on the sixth day, I want you to do it a bunch of times. And then I want you to stop, blow the trumpets. And guess what he said? I don't want you to whisper. I want you to shout in anticipation of what God is going to do. We shout in response to who God is and what he's done for us. But we also shout in faith, knowing what God is going to do. I can shout because I know that ultimately Jesus is a victory. Jesus will give us victory, and I can shout to the Lord. So the first response is an outward focus of responding to the Lord. Second, notice there's joy. Notice the words used, joy, and there's gladness, and there's joyful songs, and there's confession of things, and there's praise or adoration. There's this idea of, wow, look at what God is, and look at what he's done for me. And we want to gather together, and we want to say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done over here. And even in the midst of pain and suffering, We know that God is right there with us. He's faithful, he's good, and he's loving, and he still cares for us. When you come to church, are you excited to come to church? But when we come together, we're saying, yeah, man, life stinks right now. But let me bear your burden. Let me lift you up. Let me help you. Let's let's be thankful for who God is. Notice what it says. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. I'm thinking of the pilgrimage. I'm thinking of the guy living outside of Jerusalem, and he's going, we got to get to there. There's a big festival going on, and we need to get there, and we need to to show up. And as they get closer and closer, they see all the throngs of people. Everybody's coming in. All of a sudden, their hearts are full. We have these psalms of ascent. In their hearts, they're singing, and we're entering the blessing of the Lord. We're entering his courts with praise. We're confessing who God is and what he's done for us. So there's an outward expression. There's a joy for who he is in looking at my life. The third thing is in verse 2. Notice what it says, worship the Lord with gladness. You know what that word actually means? Serve. Isn't that interesting? Not just this contemplative aspect of where I sit in my chair and I go, thank you, Lord. But this idea of my life is a living and holy sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, acceptable to God. So I'm offering spiritual sacrifices to God. How do I do that? I do that by serving. By the way, I don't think it's just in the church. Your life is a living sacrifice at your work, in your family, in all of those places where light needs to shine in the midst of darkness. And we are called to what? Serve the Lord. Worship the Lord with gladness. This aspect of all of life is to be given to him and to serve. So it's an outward expression. There's joy. There's service. And then last thing is it's, it's a psalm for giving thanks. It's a psalm for the confession of thanks. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Let me ask you, what are you grateful for this year? What are you grateful for? I mean, when you really sit down and say, Lord, man, I'm going to look back over my life and I'm going to be grateful. And I'm gonna... Things that I see, maybe the things that I don't see. You know, this is a psalm for giving thanks. This is a psalm for us to come together, not only corporately as individually, to, to say thank you, Lord, for, man, we've just come out of a mess. <laughs> We're still in the mess. But look at you. Look at us. Look what God has done. And we've prayed hard and God has heard our prayers. And God has done things here, and he's done things. And God's still doing things. Why? Because, because he's loving, and he's good, and he's faithful, and he's going to continue to be faithful in the midst of life. I want to close with an illustration. In 2006, I read a book. It was called In the Presence of My Enemies. It was written by Gracia Burnham. And I don't know if you know who Gracia Burnham was. She was a missionary for New Tribes Mission. She and her husband were serving somewhere out in the Philippines, and he was a pilot for New Tribes Mission. And they went out, they were getting ready to celebrate their anniversary. So they went out and they were captured. This is 2001, May of 2001, they were captured. And they were held captive by the enemy, Osama bin Laden's people, for over a year, uh, living on the road and uh, pain and suffering and all of this. 
And they're getting toward the end of their ordeal. They didn't really know that. I mean, they were captives, and they were near starvation. And I remember reading the book, and I remember it. There's one part of the book where Martin lost his glasses. I don't know about you, but I am blind without my glasses. I wear contact lenses. And I read that, I go, I, I don't know how I would operate without being able to see. I don't know how I would do this. And it says this one night. It looked like it was going to rain, so the Burnham set up their hammocks. And they put plastic covers over them. But before they laid down, Martin said this, you know, you know, Gracia, I don't know why the Lord has allowed this to happen, but today I've been thinking about Psalm 100 and how we can serve the Lord with gladness. Just because we're here doesn't mean we can't serve him with gladness. So let's serve the Lord with gladness. And it was shortly after that that he, he took a bullet and died. Psalm 100 is just a beautiful reminder of who God is and what he's done for us. And that much of what we experience in life is because of we're recipients of God's grace. God's grace that we embrace him. God's grace that we're in faith because of him. That the spirit of God lives inside of us. That we're part of this wonderful collection of a family. where We gather together and we love each other and we care for each other. And we should have the opportunity to say thank you. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Father, we are, we, we are your redeemed people and we love you. Father, thank you that you, you created us that we're simply the sheep of your pastor. And Father, this morning, we just want to say thank you from our hearts. We want to thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. Father, I thank you for my faith family. I thank you for the people who are here. And Lord, we are grateful for Jesus. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.